Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. So, let me give you a little time frame here. It took them about three months to travel from the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. They were at Sinai something like a year to a year and a half. And then their journey to Kadesh Barnea, uh, the southern border of Canaan, took about 11 days. Now, we suspect it took them more than 11 days because of frequent stops, several weeks, even months. Nonetheless, God's teaching them lessons out in the desert. So, the place on the map today that we're dealing with is spiritual decision time. And that happens, I suspect, for most Christians. We have made our commitment. We've gone across the Red Sea. We've now learned some lessons in the desert. Now it's spiritual decision time. Do we go for it or do we try to wiggle out? Now, going for it means we go all the way. Wiggling out is, okay, I don't want to take this thing too seriously. I mean, I don't want to, like, be cultish about this whole thing. You know, I don't want to deny myself, take up the cross and follow him absolutely. He couldn't be right about everything. Now, let me only go so far with this thing. And I think that's what it could mean for all of us to wiggle out instead of saying, let's really go for it. So I want to talk just a few quick points this morning. The first thing is the reasons for wandering. The first reason I suspect is this. It's a sad growth of what has already happened. Now we read briefly this morning from Psalm 95, whether you knew it or not. But in Psalm 95, we covered this at our prayer meeting on on, uh, Wednesday night. One of the things that Psalm says is this. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah. Now, that word Meribah means provoking or testing. As in the day of Masa, which means quarreling or despairing. So, do not harden your hearts like you did at Meribah or at Masa in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. And for 40 years, I loathed that generation. Hang on here. Something happened between Meribah and Masa and Kadesh Barnea. In other words... When they got across the Red Sea, one of the things they doubted was that God was going to take care of them. They wanted water. Now, if you're in a desert, guess what? You want water. I don't know about y'all, but uh, just in the last couple days, I've been taking some long walks. And for whatever crazy reason, I decided to take my long walks about 10 a.m. If you're going to take a long walk, can I go ahead and recommend 5 a.m.? All right. Don't do 10 a.m. Because you're starting to deal with some serious heat and some serious humidity, and I don't know if you're a sweater or not, I am. And pretty soon, I'm really thirsty out there. I got home from one of these long walks a couple weeks ago. My wife didn't know what happened to me. I mean, I was just like conked out the rest of the day. I guess I'm getting that age where if I lose, say, three gallons of water out of my sweat pores, I'm not the same the rest of the day. I mean, I was wiped out, so I get wanting water. You know what I mean? I understand one water. And they're wanting it. And so they actually doubt that God can provide it. And so it says what they did was they provoked, they tested, they quarreled, and they despaired in the wilderness. And the Lord was not pleased with this. He gave them water. But I think from that point to Kadesh Barnea, what happens is this. That grows. Testing and quarreling grows. Despairing and doubting grows. And it comes to the place where they not only doubt he can't provide water, but what he told us all along he was going to do, take us to the promised land. We don't think he can do that either. 
I'm going to tell you, some things need to be nipped in the bud. And once you learn your lesson, you need to learn it good. Don't say, hey, you know, we complained and we got water. Let's complain again and again and again. And what does it grow into? This is what it's going to grow into. Wandering in the wilderness for 40 years is what it's going to grow into. Some things you got to nip in the bud. And that's exactly what should have been done here. Second thing is this. Their God was too small. There's a great book called Your God is Too Small. I, I love the name of that book. The spies said, we are not able to go up for they are stronger than us. Now, I'm not a Hebrew guy. Almost all my children have had Hebrew. So I figure the guy that got the PhD in the Bible ought to be the guy I confer with on this. Because right? I read in a source, uh, it was actually a, a Hebrew for Christians on Facebook. Now, Facebook, I get that, that it might not be the most serious source. But uh, I walked in, I was so proud, I was, I was looking at it when Josh walked in and says, whoa, Dad, you're doing some serious stuff there. I'm so glad he walked in. I wasn't looking at Facebook when he walked in. I was looking at Hebrew. Now, I don't know Hebrew, so it's a little hard for me to look at it unless there's some English dangling over it. Indeed, there was. I couldn't figure it out. So I asked Caleb. I said, Caleb, could it be that that, that uh, Hebrew for Christians website on Facebook was right? We're not able to go up for they are stronger than us, and us could mean us and our God. See, not just us. We don't believe that the God that we have on our side. Now, they got gods on their side. We actually think the gods that are on their side are bigger and badder than the God that's on our side. And all of a sudden what happens is, oh, my good. Listen, you don't, you don't want to be where God loathes you. But that's what it says in that uh, 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 Psalm 95. I loathed that generation. Why? Because they said, hey, your God's bigger than our God. Know how we can tell? You got fortified cities. We don't. Your God's taking care of you all. Hey, you must have eaten your Wheaties. You're awful big people. Not us. We're slaves. Your God must be bigger than our God. Oh, folks. But listen, we can do that. We can do that in almost any situation of our lives, big or small. Actually, coming to church today. My wife was talking about the smaller situations. This is a big situation. But the smaller situation of our life where we can do this kind of thing. And it's true. It comes down to the small situations of your life. Do I trust in God in this little minuscule situation today in my life? Or do I think there's something bigger than God in this little situation of my life today? You can think of the situation. You just got a flat tire. How about that? You're kicking around, storming around. Now, listen, I'm not preaching at you right now. We're, we're, we're here together, okay? <laughs> My family has seen Dad storm around a flat tire before. Whoa, what are we going to do? What are we going to do now? Well, you could trust God right now if you wanted to, or you could just storm around and get mad. Now, that's the freedom method. Storm around and get mad. But uh, at that point, you're saying, you know, the God of this flat tire apparently is bigger than the God of the full tire. The, the tire that can get me into the next place. Whatever. I'm going to suggest to you, folks, this isn't just a situation for, for, for Numbers 13. This is our situation every day of our lives. Is your God big enough? Is your God bad enough? Is your God strong enough to get you through what you need to get through today? The third thing is this. 
Grasshopper vision. I love that last line. (laughs) We became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Now, I I want to talk to you about this a moment. In Numbers 13, 18, it says, See the land, what it is, whether it's good or bad, and strengthen yourselves. I saw the most interesting thing this week on YouTube. It was a... I don't know why, but on my YouTube feed right now, uh, or on my, excuse me, on my feed, uh, Facebook feed right now, I'm getting a lot of soccer videos. And I just, I can't play soccer. I don't have any kids that really were that good at soccer. i just just kind of fascinated about this game of soccer right now. Now, it's a boring game. You go the whole game and somebody scores a goal and people go crazy. But, you know, I'm not going to go crazy over one goal. I want to go crazy over ten. I want to, let's do some more scoring here. But you all you see on these, these, these uh, YouTube videos is scoring, so I kind of like it. And one of the greatest scorers in the game is a guy named Lionel Messi. I don't know if you ever heard of this guy, Lionel Messi. And uh, he has played at least, maybe still does play for Barcelona. And his coach said, it's interesting about Lionel. If you have ever noticed, the first few minutes of a match, he doesn't do anything. He goes out there and stands around. In fact, I saw, a, I saw a clip of this. He was standing right in the middle of the field, and he was just standing there watching everybody. And everybody around him was going crazy trying to get this ball. He's just watching. He doesn't enter in. He doesn't say, hey, I can do this and jiggle it around and kick it out to where it needs. He doesn't do it. He just watches. Ball comes right by him. Eh, whatever. He doesn't do anything. It's the most amazing thing you've ever seen. The, one of the greatest, maybe the greatest player in the game today doesn't do anything for the first several minutes of the game. You want to know why? He's watching. He's observing. He wants to see kind of the lay of the land. He wants to see who's aggressive and who's not. He wants to see how they kick the ball. And basically what his coach said is he is interpreting these moments. And then slowly he will get involved in the game. Slowly, more and more, and pretty soon, he takes over the game, he scores, and he's a champion of the game. And I'm thinking, well, what is that supposed to mean for us today? Remember, it says strengthen yourselves. This is a Hebrew verb that means to intently decide to see the good despite the present veil of appearances. Now, the present veil of appearances is these guys can kick your tail. But the good is yeah, but we got Yahweh. Amen. We got God on our side, and no one kicks our tail when God is on our side. That's what they should have been seeing. That's what they should have been looking at. So I'm going to tell you about this guy, Lionel Messi. When he goes and observes, he's not observing to see how they can't win. He's observing to find out how he's going to win this game, how he's going to win this game, how his team's going to win this game. He's not observing here, saying, man, we don't stand a chance here. I better go tell coach, we don't stand a chance. These guys are good. No, 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 no. He's looking and says, hey, coach, they got some weaknesses. Let me tell you what they are. Let's go exploit them. That's what the Israelites should have been doing. Let's go in, let's spy out the land, and let's see how we are going to win this thing. Instead of find out how we can't win this thing. Now, I, I've got to, Caleb and Hannah are not typically here. They're here uh, with us today, sitting on almost the front row. Thank you all. Appreciate that. <laughs> uh, 
I was talking about this with Mary. Mary and I spent some time in devotion on, on the past that we're going over. And so she was saying, you know, this is where I don't trust quite enough and haven't trusted quite enough. And I'm thinking, yeah. Uh, and I'm thinking, well, how about me? Where have I not trusted enough? I'm saying, I, I tell you what it is for me, honey. I says, uh, I write things. And, and Caleb knows. Caleb's always on me about this. I write things. And I just don't trust God enough to say, let me just go ahead and throw this in somewhere and see if it can get published or not. Send it into a journal. Send it in to a publisher. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just saying, listen, if, if somehow they say no, I'm just going to trust that's what God wanted. No with that publisher. That doesn't mean I'm going to give up. I'll send it to another publisher. I cannot do that. One rejection destroys my year, my whole year. No, we don't want it. Oh, I'm wounded. Caleb has no fear. Caleb says, ah, I'm going to send it in. They ought to take it. They may or may not. If they don't, just they should have taken it. Let me, let me throw it someplace else. And he's going to get published in life. I haven't got published nearly enough in life because, oh, I'm wounded. Oh, let me find out how this thing can't win instead of how it's going to win the day. And that's what the Hebrews are especially good at. They had grasshopper vision. They said, we seen to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. There's something subtle here, yet very profound, y'all. There's a connection between how we see ourselves and how we imagine others see us. They go in there and think, oh my goodness, we see ourselves as grasshoppers, and they almost assuredly see us as grasshoppers as well. And a grasshopper is not a good thing if you're about ready to go up against some very powerful armies. And so they see themselves as grasshoppers. Now, one of the things we recognize, and we've talked about this in this church before, is the famous sociologist Charles Cooley had something called the looking glass concept. And he said this, you will think about yourself, what the most important person in your life thinks of you. The most important person in their life ought to have been Yahweh, ought to have been God. And what does God think? Yeah, you can't win, but oh, we're going to win. Because I think I can use you, I can work through you, and we're going to win this battle. That's what they should have thought. Our God thinks we're going to win. In fact, he assures, in fact, he promises we're going to win this thing. Therefore, we will win. You know what? I think the most important person in their life is still Pharaoh. I think Pharaoh, I know he's way back there, and no, we're not going back to Egypt, but I still think there's some character out there that looms large in their life that they think we can't, and if it's not Pharaoh, you know who it might be? The gods of the Amalekites, right? The gods of that big old city over there that we can't take because it's fortified, and they got large people that live there. That God, that's the most important person in our life because we can't beat him. Y'all, who's the most important person in your life? It shouldn't be one of your children. It shouldn't be your spouse. It shouldn't be your boss. The most important person in your life shouldn't be, listen to this now, we're getting serious here, shouldn't be the dad that abused you. The most important person in your life shouldn't be the man that raped you. The most important person in your life shouldn't be that boss that unfairly fired you. Don't let them loom large in your life. God 
Jesus, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. That's the most important people in your life. You need to focus on them. And when you focus on them, victory is yours. I believe it. And I believe that the more and more day spring makes that a reality, we've got our best days that are coming. This. I think we get the whole topic of happiness messed up. Barna survey. Y'all, y'all know about George Barna. Great pollster uh, for the evangelical community. But Barna said more than half of evangelicals agreed with this statement. So the majority of us, uh, Bible-believing, born-again Christians, the majority of us agree that the purpose of life is enjoyment and personal fulfillment. Maybe some of us agree with that today. The whole purpose for me living is so that I can enjoy life and be happy. I don't buy it for a minute. The whole purpose of our life is to be holy as he is holy. No matter how hard or how easy it is, that's the purpose of our life. To worship him and thus become like him. That's the purpose of our life. But having said that, evangelicals would disagree with that. I'm uh, I'm mindful this week. This is the week of uh, 4th of July. And that our Declaration of Independence actually had something to say about this. You remember it? We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. They're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and here we go. Thomas Jefferson wrote it down for us. The pursuit of happiness. The problem with that phrase, pursuit of happiness, is when you look at happiness as it's found in a place like dictionary.com, They say that happiness is pleasure, contentment, and joy. But the founding fathers who wrote that had a little bit different idea. There's a book written by uh, Carly Conklin called The Pursuit of Happiness in the Founding Era. And this is what she said. In the 18th century, happiness referred to man's ability to know the law of nature and to choose to pursue a life of virtue. In other words, a life lived in harmony with those natural law principles. Charles Coulson, who's probably my uh, modern-day hero, said this. The concept of happiness comes from the Greek word, uh, uh, eudaimonia, which refers to a life well-lived, a life lived and rooted in truth. Therefore, happiness means... Every man and every woman has the inalienable right to pursue a virtuous life. And for us, the Bible says the virtuous life is the holy life. So, if we were to read that more accurately, we could probably read it, not the pursuit of happiness, but the pursuit of holiness. That'd be closer to what the founding fathers meant than simply the pursuit of pleasure. And y'all... That's what we were designed to do, to be holy, not to be happy, to be holy even as he is holy. The last thing is this. There's a simple lack of faith here. If we're going to understand the reasons for their wandering, it was just a lack of faith. In fact, Caleb said to me that one of the things you see in the literature is Kadesh Barnea is juxtaposed with Hebrews 11. Remember Hebrews 11, the great faith chapter? By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, all these great men and women of faith. By faith, they conquered. And they didn't do that at Kadesh Barnea. This is what they did. 
They said, all right, let's go in. With our spies, the spies came back. And ten of the spies says, we can't do it. And two of the spies said, oh, we can do it. We're going to do it. But you know, the majority report, particularly when it's ten to two, uh, they said, all right, we're going with the ten. And they decide not to go in. Then they find out, oh, my goodness, we're going to have to wander in the wilderness for a year, for every day, 40 years. And, and every one of us, 20 years and older, are going to die in the desert. Whoa, 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 let's go get them. They go in and get their tails kicked because God's not with them now. And so they wander around, and sure enough, they were buried in the sands of the Sinai Peninsula. They were buried in those sands. And not only that, but the dreams died. I I was out at the prison this week, and I brought up a couple points. I brought up Robert Robinson. Robert Robinson was a guy that uh, put together a tremendous hymn. We love to sing it here, although we revise it here. We, uh, we put in different words when we sing it at Dayspring. Robert Robertson wrote a very famous hymn called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Remember that hymn? And maybe the, the verse that most people remember is, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let that goodness like a fetter bind my, here we go, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. We looked at that, and then we noticed the life of Robert Robinson. And there's some dispute about how he ended his life. But he did end his life as a Unitarian, which means all of a sudden, He's not confirming the great tenets of Orthodox faith. He's a Unitarian now that basically says, you know, the deity of Jesus, not so much. The Bible reads like we really want it to read, not how everyone consensually believes. And so we believe that Robert Robinson probably died. He did die Unitarian, but probably died a profligate, lost as he could be. In other words, he wandered. So the Nazarenes said, okay, let's change that hymn. And let's not sing about wandering because we don't have to be prone to wander. Now, I want to get an amen on that if I can conjure one up. We don't have, Tim, we don't have to be prone to wander. We can be prone to seize the land, prone to the promised land, prone to live like God wants us to live, prone to be holy as He is holy. Amen? Amen. And if that's true, that opens up all kinds of possibilities. So I, I'm telling this to the prisoners. The next thing I did was this. Had about a dozen of them surrounding me. That's the way we do it. We get back and back in one of the pods. Got about a dozen to 20 guys there. And I love the end part of this. I love to go around and put my hands on each one of them. Just go nose to nose with them, praying God's blessing on their life. But before I did that, I went and I looked at one of them and I says, hey, dude, you got a kid named Shamua? He says, no, I ain't got no kid named Shamua. I says, let me tell you why. Shamua was a big disappointment and no one names their kid Shamua anymore. I said, hey, dude, you name your kid Palti? He said, no, man, I don't name my kid Palti. I said, let me tell you why. He was a loser. I said, you name your kid Gadiel? No, man, I don't name my kid Gadiel. He says, let me tell you why. He was one of the big ten disappointments of the Israelites. These were the spies that decided we ain't going to seize the land. 
We're not going to do it. I mean, the list of names, it's right there at the top of 13. The list of names, Shamua, Ghoul. You may name your kid Ghoul. Nobby. Hey, Nobby. I don't know. I kind of like the name, but I ain't going to name your kid that. Nobby. Palti. I said, then I went, I went right up to him and says, you want to know what I named my first two kids? He said, what? I said, I named my first kid Caleb. I named my second kid Joshua. And this is the reason why. Amen. 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 Lord, we want to seize the land. Our God is bigger than all other gods because there are no other gods. Our God is bigger, badder, better. And Jesus, we want to live our life like that is the truth. Lord Jesus, bless us today. Bless us this week. Bless us this month. And bless us this year that we might seize the land, possess the land. Lord, it was 40 years ago this month when I reached Kadesh Barnea in my own life. And I said, let's seize it. I think my God's big enough to help me to seize the land. And I've not wandered in the wilderness for four decades. I praise you for that. And I want that for all day spring and for all the people that we're going to impact even this week. May we possess the promised land. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, friends.